Welcome to the Film Cuttery. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And we're laughing because this is going to be our comedy episode. Every movie in this episode is a comedy, intentionally so. Intentionally. This is episode 41. And uh, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk. First of all, we have a new release that we went and saw, Game Night. With Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams. Yep. And then, and then we're going to get into... Um, some Netflix, you know, uh, you know, uh, movies, a futile and stupid gesture. It's about the early days of the National Lampoon and the Poker King, the the new Jack Black joint. You'll learn about Jan Luan, yes, the Poker King, aka Ponzi artist. Absolutely. So, all this and more on this week's episode of the Film Coterie. How are you, Adam? I'm good, Roger. How are you? It's been so long since I've seen you, man. I know. Minutes. I, minutes. I know. After last week's Black Panther episode, I don't know how we survived. Yeah. <laughs> We're recording this before we've seen Black Panther. Shh. <laughs> secret. Don't let him in on the secrets, you know? But uh, good chance we're going to like Black Panther from the early word. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to like it, but we'll see. Well, we'll have known by this episode. <laughs> yes, airing. of course we know we, whether or not we liked Black Panther. Oh man! But I need a good laugh. I don't know about you, but the world we're living in right now, I need a little comedy in my life. Yeah, the stock market's crashing. North Koreans are saber rattling, so we need some laughs. Absolutely. So, why don't we jump right into our our first movie of the night? Let's take a quick break and come back and let's review the movie Game Night. We're down to two teams, so for double points, what is the name of the purple Teletubby? Tinky Winky. You're both correct. He always carried a red purse. Ooh, I'm a rebel just for kicks. Max is very competitive, as am I. It's one of the reasons I fell in love with him. Oh, it's easy. He was an incredible Hulk. Eric, Eric Bana. Other one. Mark Ruffalo. Other one. Lou Ferrigno. Primal Fear. Richard Gere never played the Incredible Hulk. Time. Jesus Christ. Ed Norton. Oh, oh shit. Primal Fear. Guys, what do you say we do this at my house next week? This will be a game night to remember. Oh, boy. Mm. Tonight, we're taking game night up a notch. We don't need a board and we do not need pieces. We won't need any extra rudeness either. Someone in this room is going to be taken. Oh, it's a murder mystery party. Fun. Whoever finds the victim wins the grand prize, the keys to the stingray. Just the keys? All right, we're back and we are here to talk about game night. The new comedy with Jason Bateman, Rachel McAdams, and the guy who steals the whole movie, Jesse Plemons. Absolutely. This was a early screening that we got to see a couple weeks ago, but it's still fresh in our memories for some reason. Yes. <laughs> so if you haven't seen the trailer, Game Night centers around a, a group of friends. They get together every week. They play. In their 30s, probably. Supposed to be. Yeah. The actor's a little older, but you get the feeling they're supposed to be young 30s. Anyway, they, they play party games. They play uh, charades and pictogram. Yep, Pictionary. Pictionary. That uh, Jenga. Yeah. For some reason, Jenga was the popular party game. Anything that Mattel or Hasbro provided them, they look like they played. So they mix things up. A brother comes in, and he offers them a murder mystery. Yep. Things go wrong. He may or may not have been really kidnapped, and they go off into the night on a... An adventure of misfortune. Now, I have to say right from the beginning, 
um, this was an early screener, and it was in a smaller theater that we than we normally see films in. But it was packed. I mean, just about yeah. every seat was people taken. were turned away. Yeah, and it was um, the crowd loved this film. I they mean, they were very much. Into they it. were laughing really into the film as well. I'd say ninety percent of the jokes landed pretty hard with the crowd. Yeah. And so with, with the production company putting this film out as an early screener two weeks early, they must be anticipating this is going to be a hit. They must be anticipating we've got a pretty good movie on our hands. Would you concur with that sentiment, Adam, or do you disagree? Do you, do, do you, do you agree or disagree that this is, this is a good film and going to be a hit? I think it has a good chance of hitting a mainstream audience because we haven't had a comedy in a while that I can think of, you know, that's just a, they all failed over the summer, you know, the Will Ferrell, the right. house, a lot of them just didn't do anything. So, I mean, their fingers are probably crossed that this might connect. People might be bored. Haven't seen a comedy in a while and a go. And this one's pretty funny. Um, it, it's, it has some unexpected humor. Not everything works, but when it's funny, it's funny. It's a gimmick comedy, but here's what I like. So a gimmick comedy, the gimmick is these people think they're playing a game so they're doing things they wouldn't normally do. They may wave a gun around because they think it's fake, not realizing it's a real gun. This could get old fast. Yes. Thankfully, the movie does away with it after the first kind of joke with the gimmick. Right. And goes into its own territory, well, which a, was refreshing. There's a very there's a very funny scene where there's a selfie picture taken and using that gimmick that I thought really could have hit or missed or could have missed really bad. And it really hit and our audience just really laughed, you know? Um, I have to say right from the start that Jesse Plemons to me stole <laughs> this whole movie. Every scene he was in, I'm holding onto my chair and, and trying to hold my laughter down. And it wasn't the laugh scenes like, you know, nobody else is really laughing, but he plays this this cop that's, you know, he plays the guy that he plays the person we all have a relationship with. He he was kind of the we loved his wife, but he was really kind of strange and an odd bird. And we tolerated him because, you know, we really loved his wife and then they get divorced and he's still around. And <laughs> Yeah, he's great in this movie. He plays a police officer that's he's just so weird. He's very weird. Socially awkward. Yes. And he just stands there and he's holding this little Bijan Frise dog the whole time. <laughs> the whole movie. He's always holding this dog. He has awkward exits, awkward entrances. He shows up a couple times, and every time I really enjoyed his character. So kudos for them for casting Jesse. Oh. And he nailed this role. He nailed it, man. He's gonna I'm be the thing you. that people remember from this movie. And it's worth it to stay for the credits. The yes. end credits are some of the most carefully constructed end credits I've ever seen. You go around this character's basement, and it's all really interesting stuff. I mean, I, yep. they put a lot of work into the end credits. Yeah, fantastic. And, and i got to really say, this movie was a big hit for me. I laughed. I immediately thought, okay, this is a family night movie at our house. You know, I have older teenagers it is R. It's rated R because there's there's some language and stuff and in it. And some blood. You know, and some blood. But it's 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 if you have older teenagers, when I'm like mine, 17, 18 years old, this is I think everybody can kind of at least I know my wife will relate to this movie. I think she'll enjoy this movie and laugh a lot. Um, I thought Jason Bateman and um, was it Rachel McAdams? Rachel McAdams yeah. had great chemistry. They really worked together. 
And I found myself chuckling at them and the way they interacted and how they're both so competitive and that's how they kind of connected. And yeah, it gets a little um, cheeky at times, you know, and, 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 and kind of, but overall, I really, really liked uh, game night, you know, and it wasn't really what, what I expected. You know, I, I expected it to be Jason Bateman and a bunch of his guy friends and they were really nerdy at being gamers and then all of a sudden something happens and they get thrown into this thing. It really wasn't. It was much lighter, you know, much more about the social dynamic of all of them. Um, and let's talk about the look of it. Um, something that stood out to me, and it's pretty apparent from the opening credits where you have the falling game pieces. This movie has a very heavy synth kind of soundtrack that you'd kind of experience in a neo-noir and it's lit harshly. It's kind of lit like a gas station, like, you know, the neon right. light. No, yeah. A lot of blues. The, you know, they colored the movie that way. So it looks like a thriller visually. Right. But it's a comedy, and they play up that. But the soundtrack and look of this movie is all thriller, which is kind of an interesting contrast. You don't usually see this much work put into the way a comedy looks. No, I, I agree. And... uh um, there's, there's a couple times where it kind of has, I know this is a bad comparison. It kind of has that get out feel to it. Like you're not quite sure this is real serious what's happening here, but yet it's very funny at the same time. You know, it's not quite at the level, not at all at the level of a get out film, you know, that from, from Jordan Peele, but very funny, kind of poking fun at itself cheeky on purpose at times i think you know um and you know i think maybe at the very end it went just just it could have ended really really bad and then like you said it had that turn and that kind of made up for it a little bit and they kind of saved themselves you know at the end i don't want to give anything away because i want i think you'll enjoy this this movie if you go see it you know this is a perfect Take your friend, your 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 partner, your spouse, whatever out. You know, this is a fun, humorous, you know, movie. And it's good to see with a big crowd. Yes, absolutely. Because I think you'll find most of the people are pretty into it. It's a brisk ninety minutes. Yeah, it's the right length. Um, there's some good shots in here. There's a scene where they're throwing an object between each other through a house, and it's made to look like a long take. The, the takes and cuts are just hidden. Right. As this object is moving around. But I thought that was pretty well shot where they're moving this object back and very forth well. and throwing it to each other. It was a fun scene. Yeah. They hide the editing very well in this. You don't really notice that they're cutting to different shots as they're moving through the house. Now, I would have appreciated it even more if it was a one-take thing, but they're not going to put that level of cinematography into this Well, film. think how hard it would have been because they're throwing the object. You need perfect catches, too, Yeah, for all the cast members, and there's people taking hits. And getting tackled, this and is, it it would have been too much. But it, what it almost ended up being like a Looney Tunes kind of you know chase through the house scene. And the other characters are funny too. There's a couple fighting about you know the old thing. If you could cheat with one celebrity, who would it be? And that has a funny payoff. Yes, absolutely. And there's another guy who is the serial dater. He always has a different woman with him. Usually a model. He finally meets someone his match, and he's just. He's really dumb, and he has a lot of the humor in the movie, just not understanding stuff and being behind. Yeah. He's not only two steps behind everyone, he's three or four steps behind yeah. everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's the dog. What kind of dog was that again? It was a little Bichon. A little Bichon, that's right. 
And uh, there's a humorous scene that almost was could have been overdone, but it ended up being very funny with the dog <laughs> itself, you know. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, game night, it's funny. You know, if you're starved for a comedy, I don't think you're going to be walking out of it too disappointed. There's a lot of good laughs in it. So, yeah. I'd recommend it. Yep, I'd recommend it as well. Wow, shocking. <laughs> we A movie that we both liked and will recommend, you know. That's kind of a rarity these days. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for game night, but we're continuing our comedy theme. And so when we come back, we're going to look at a futile and stupid gesture. And the Polka King after that. And then the Polka King. And we may not agree again on this episode. I think it, it will probably come down on the disagreement, or then again, we might not. Who knows? Anyway, that's all on the Film Coterie. We'll be right back after the music. All right, we're back again, and now we're going to talk about the National Lampoon which most people will probably know from Christmas Vacation, since it says National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So, so yeah, let's set a little story. This is a futile and stupid gesture. And it's on Netflix. Yep. Th- this is uh, set in the 1970s and 80s, and it, and it chronicles the National Lampoon's success and its influence uh, creates a new media empire overseen in part by the brilliant and troubled Doug Kenny. And this movie really fixates on Doug Kenny. He's certainly the main character. Yeah. And so I, you know, I was born uh, here. I am. I'm dating myself again. I was born. I'm an old, old, old guy. I was born in 1970. And so my formidable years were, you know, 80 to 89 or so. And, the National Lampoon was still going, but it was starting to decline as a news, as a magazine. Now, I can clearly remember my first exposure to the National Lampoon magazine was good old Boy Scouts in summer camp. <laughs> because there's nudity in it. Exactly. And some of my older scout buddies who were 17 and 18, who were teenagers in the 70s, the older cool scouts, you know, the ones who smoked and had copies of National Lampoon, that was my first exposure to this magazine, and we used to search the pages looking for the nude girls in it, you know. If you don't know what the magazine is, it was a humor magazine that was a cross between Mad Magazine and Playboy. Yeah. But the nudity was always used for a joke. Yes. It would have something funny going on. But they knew that's what sold magazines. Exactly. And so out of that spun then uh, their first movie that Doug Kenny... Well, the radio show. The radio show first, and yep. then from that, the first movie was... Well, back back up a little bit, the radio show, and then, interesting enough to come to find out, they were actually offered to do Saturday Night Live and turned it down. They were too busy. They were too busy, and so... Or too stoned. <laughs> yes. And so, um, what's his name? Michael... Um, the guy from NBC, that the, the the producer, Lorne Michaels. Lorne Michaels, yeah, he he ends up stealing half the cast and half more the, than half. And this yeah. this is a legendary cast because it's Harold Ramis, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Gilda Radner, oh. Belushi, 
Belushi was a titan already. Jim Belushi, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Chevy Chase and the whole gang. He steals them all and starts Saturday Night Live. And so uh, Doug Kinney goes out and makes Animal House in 1976, 77, somewhere in there. I can't remember when. And it becomes the highest grossing comedy of all time. You know, so this guy is set to be a titan of the field, right? And then uh, National Lampoon would go on to do, you know, National Lampoon's Vacation, the more popular, uh, then European Vacation, and then the now cult hit Christmas Vacation, and all these Lampoon movies, and really kind of set the stage for what they would do in the 90s with the... um, the other high school movies, the um, American Pie, American Pie series, kind of, kind of stood on the shoulders of National Lampoon, you know. So, this movie focuses on Doug Kenny. He's the co-creator. Uh, starts when they're at Harvard because the the Harvard Lampoon is where he started right. writing with uh with Henry Beard, his partner. Yep. And in this movie, Will Forte plays uh, Doug Kenny. And surprisingly, and he's good in this, Donald Gleason from, you know, Ms. General Hux. Right. From Last Jedi and then the new trilogy plays Henry Beard. And he is really good in this movie. If you've ever seen what Beard is like in real life, he was the oldest teenager that ever lived. Oh, yeah. He wore a suit. He drank martinis. You just never believed he was a kid. Right. And they nailed that. In he was movie. an old soul, we would say, you know, smoked the pipe and just would, would read and, and, and just, you know, the guy that was super brilliant, yet him and Kenny, when they connected, it was comic genius. And it really, this is the 70s. There was an undercurrent. There was a backlash. There was a, a need for something raw and real and satire to the extreme they threw a hand grenade at so many sacred objects that was their style of of comedy i mean just showing a gross act with boy scouts nothing was sacred to them right the shocking nature of it is what sold the magazines you may not be familiar with the magazine but you probably can picture the cover of buy this magazine or we shoot this dog right they put a revolver to the head of a a nice looking dog yeah and it worked i think that was their best-selling issue ever yeah, absolutely. So what really they capture in this movie, I think, is the relationship between Kenny and Beard. Because these guys, they just work off each other. They were meant for each other. They both have such different personalities, but they just speak in puns. They're always working. They'd rather be with each other than anyone else, and to the detriment of their own relationships. Right, yeah. They're workaholics, and I think that movie, this really captures it, maybe more so than a documentary. Because the people that have talked about their relationship, you don't really get the sense of what it was like in a documentary. But seeing it in this film, I think, really captures that essence. And 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 I guess maybe if I'm going to diverge from your your opinion on this film a little bit, I really wonder. I wondered the whole time I watched this how much that relationship was glamorized, you know, and and not really maybe realistic in the sense you know was this a hollywood's version of their relationship because the chemistry is incredible and it definitely clicked and it worked but 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 i gotta say outside of maybe the guy playing chevy chase i was really the rest of the actors did not do it for me as far as the casting Uh, i thought the guy doing chevy chase was brilliant and excellent 
it's this was brilliant casting. It's Joel McHale from Community. If you know anything about Community, you know how big of a pain in the ass Chevy Chase was on this set. Oh, diva, nightmare. Everyone fought with him. Joel McHale and him were enemies at one point, I believe. So for him to come in and play Chevy Chase, yeah, you know, it's an interesting casting choice. He nails it. He really he's the does. best part of this movie. He, his he really portrayal is. of Chevy Chase doing the Pratt Falls, the, all the cocaine. And just being Chevy, kind of an asshole, arrogant right. guy, but very funny. And so that, that kind of leads me to, there's a, you know, this is compared to the documentary. There's a documentary that's been done called Drunk Stone, Brilliant Dead. That's also on Netflix right now. That's also on Netflix. And the difference is, is that it's the actual stars kind of retelling the events that led through National Lampoon's success and... Um, the life and, 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 and stuff of, of Doug Kenny. Um, and I, I gotta say, I think I kind of preferred the documentary better than the actual, I enjoyed seeing the actual stars talk about it, I guess, you know, um, there were things that were good about a feudal and stupid gesture. Um, but it's, I'm just a little bit young for that whole genre of film. I re-experienced those in the 80s. I'm, I'll never forget watching Animal House, a, a bootleg VHS copy of it somehow, you know, arrived on our at our school VA, uh, you know, AV, our school AV department. We watched it one, one, one time in high school. But um, I don't know, something about this, something about the guy that played Kenny himself. Um, oh, what's his name? Will Forte. Yeah. I just, he, it's like he only had one look. There, there was no transformative. He, he, you know, when you see the actual documentary and you see what Greg Kenny really looked like and how he transformed his look, I just kept seeing this guy as he wore the same the long hair and glasses, and then that was it. And then, yeah. you know, he didn't really transform himself as an actor to look different in different periods, you know, and so that didn't work for me. And I don't know, he just, there was something just, I don't know if, I don't really want to spoil this movie. Well, it's historical. I mean, here's the thing. Doug Kenny died at 33. Yes, let's say that. It was a short life. Yes. Uh, he burned out and, I mean, Caddyshack literally killed him. So he made, he helped write, made Animal House. And, and so, and I, he had to follow it up. And, you know, it's impossible to follow up at the time, the biggest comedy of all time. So he grew up the son of a PGA pro in in Ohio, Cuyahoga Falls. He tells everyone he's from Cuyahoga Falls. Right. And he wanted to make a movie about a golf course, so he made Caddyshack. And it had a bad reaction when it first came out. Now it's kind of a gained a cult status. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I have some friends that think it's the greatest comedy ever. So Caddyshack was coming out. Airplane just beat it out. Now, legitimately, Airplane is one of the funniest movies of all time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it crushed Doug to see Airplane, then the negative reaction to Caddyshack. He went into rehab, and it's unknown. He was depressed. He had, he'd had suicide attempts before, but he went for a walk, and he, he fell off a cliff. They found his body at the bottom of a cliff. We don't know if he jumped. Don't know if he slipped. Uh, one of his best friends in the whole world made the joke at the time that knowing Doug Kenny, he probably accidentally fell while looking for a place to jump. Right. 
And so when you get to this portrayal, his portrayal of, of Kenny, I just didn't, I didn't see that. I, I just didn't see that he really, there was a commitment to the inner turmoil. I, I just didn't see it there for me. And so I was a little disappointed and it made it a little harder to um, see him as a tortured soul. You know, I think, I think, I think the actor did a good job catching him in his funny side but I just didn't. I just couldn't all. I I didn't relate at all to him as a tortured individual. You know. Yeah, and one interesting thing in this in this movie is that uh, Martin Mull plays an older Doug Kenny, who's right. the narrator. Right. And he's a very meta part of the movie because he makes the joke that none of these actors look like the real people. Do you think Will Forte looks twenty seven? Do you think Will Forte looks anything like Doug Kenny? He's making lots of meta jokes. Right. But in real life, uh, Martin Mull was involved with the lampoon he was in the offices he says the movie version is only five percent sillier than what really happened with the dynamite and everything else in the office it was nuts working for the lampoon with all the drugs and alcohol fuel and everything but he said the scene that really captured doug kenny is when his girlfriend comes to find him at the party he's missed a flight he's just out of it there's mountains of cocaine everywhere and he's just kind of wandering around the place at the pool party, making jokes, but lost. Right. And that, they said, the Martin Mole said, that is Doug Kenny, and they nailed it there. Yeah. So, I mean, he may not have been tortured on the outside. That's true. And he was just, I mean, he was drugged out of his mind. Him and Chevy Chase, I mean, there's still legends about how much cocaine those two guys were doing all the time. I guess the thing I took away from this film was, how did Chevy Chase not carry guilt to some degree about this whole situation because they partied together. And even when he was in rehab, it insinuates that he helped him fall off the wagon again, you know? And so I I don't know. It didn't, to me, it did not paint Chevy chase in a really positive light. Nothing. No one that knows Chevy chase has ever painted him in a positive light. Well, that's, that is true. And he's rough around the edges and he's hard to work with and he is who he is. Yeah. So, you know, Bill Murray and him, like, don't talk. I mean, there's a lot of bad blood from a lot of people with Chevy Chase. Yeah, which is, the, he's such a comedic genius, I think, and so deadpan funny at times, you know. I, I kind of hate to I hate to hear that, but anyway. <laughs> so overall, thoughts on Feudal and Stupid Gesture? I like this movie. It's not for everybody. I like the meta approach it took to it. Um, it may throw viewers for a loop having an older Doug Kenny be a narrator if you don't know the story that he passed away at 33. I think that was clever. Yeah. And that was very much a lampoon, a lampoon move. Right. To give you an unreliable narrator and do something funny that way. Um, I recommend the documentary above. and I mean, that gives you a better story of everything right. going on. This is just focused on Doug Kenny. Right. But, you know, out of all the Netflix movies, I think this is top tier. No, me I, personally. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Uh, I'll say this. You just need to know going right into it that a, that a feudal and stupid gesture as a movie is just like National Lampoon the magazine. It's going to yes. be it's going to be raw. It's going to be vulgar. It's going to be obscene, um, you know, and it's um, going to juvenile. It's going to be juvenile and it's going to skirt the line between satire and just being nasty. You know, and they do that intentionally, just like the National Lampoon did. I don't think everything in the National Lampoon was meant to be satire, 
but they used the umbrella of satire to think of the most obscene things they could think of and put them on the paper. And so this movie is not for everyone. I'll say, uh, yeah, I agree with you, Adam. It's not for everyone. But if you grew up in that time period, if you kind of got into that humor, if you kind of liked that raw humor, in-your-face humor, obscene humor, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's for you. It just wasn't for me. I just didn't. And it wasn't even the content, even though the content's a little grates me a little bit and kind of hard to watch um, at times. But it wasn't the content that made it. Was just I just didn't connect with the movie. What'd you think of the documentary? I liked the documentary a lot. I liked it a lot better because it just kind of gave you the whole story of the lampoon, you know, as a magazine. And then as the, I didn't, I had no clue the radio show was as popular. It was all over the country, I and mean, can't you? Every campus in America tuned in regularly to listen to the Lampoon Radio Show. Here's something that hit me on a personal level I wasn't expecting. When I was younger, middle school probably, we had a used bookstore in my hometown, and I bought Board of the Rings. It was 200 pages. It was a parody of Lord of the Rings. I read it, and seeing it in this movie, I had no idea that uh, Doug Kenny and Henry Beard wrote it. So it was cool to see that because I'd That's read that cool. that little parody. Yeah. All right, that's going to wrap it up for uh, our 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 futile and stupid attempt review to review this film. <laughs> and when we come back, we're going to talk about the Polka King. So be expecting some polka music in the break. You're listening to the Film Coterie. All right, and we're back, and Adam and I have a warm beer in our hands, and we're listening to this beautiful polka music playing, and we're kind of got a smile on our face, and we're going to talk about Jack Black's new Netflix film, The Polka King. So I will ole over to you, Adam, and you can explain to our listening audience, what is this movie called The Polka King? Does the name Jan Lawan ring a bell? Now, wait, is it Jan, John, or Jan? It's any of those. Even in this movie, Jan is not very particular. I'm going to call him Jan for simplicity. I can go with Jan. So even he doesn't have a strong opinion on if it's Jan or Jan or John. So, Jan had his orchestra. Yep. He was a touring polka band. He was on TV. Local legend in Pennsylvania. Local legend. He was on some late night shows. He had a couple top records, I think. Yeah. He was even uh, Grammy nominated. Grammy nominated Jan Lawan. Jan Lawan. He had a local polka. 
He had a local uh, Polish uh, store where you could, <laughs> where you could buy various Polish wares. Polish wares. Now I myself have some Polish blood, <laughs> so I can appreciate his uh, entrepreneurial spirit from trying to make it into America. He immigrated here. Yes. And he he put together his polka band and he sold a lot of tickets and polka trinkets. So he also happened to be running a Ponzi scheme. If you invested in the Jan Lewan projects, you got a fantastic return. Like 12% or something? Oh, yeah. It could <laughs> not be beat. You got a great return on your investment with Jan. The problem is he was paying you from all the new money coming in, and it was only a matter of time before it collapsed. It's a Ponzi scheme. This is what happens with Ponzi schemes. Um, I was not familiar with this story before this movie. I was not either. And I asked around. I asked my dad. He had never heard of him. But, you know, this guy was out there, and... He made a pretty big dent. He was taking people on trips to Europe to see the Pope. He had all kinds of schemes going. But the funny thing about this, and I got it from the documentary too. There's a documentary called The Man Who Would Be King. And that's also on Netflix. He was a nice guy. Like, I can't say he had the best intentions in the world because he was a crook. See, and that, Adam, leads me to my first question of the show, of this movie. As a movie, I really liked The Poker King. I liked this movie. But I had this thing in the back of my mind the whole time saying, is this really an accurate description of, or was this guy just a super con all the way from the beginning? Was he really the clueless immigrant that didn't really know and just thought he was had a system going to make everybody happy, and as soon as one of his projects hits it and makes it big, he'd pay everybody back, you know? His victims testified for him. At, at some of the court hearings. Are I mean, you kidding me? No, they, they liked him. They believed in Jan. So that's the thing. I think in real life he was also a likable guy. Well, then, if that's the case, I got to say this is a pretty good movie then because that was my one big question was, is this really the way this guy was or are we just getting a glamorized Hollywood version of him? But it sounds like Jan Lawan was loved. Yeah. And on the scheme, if you look at all the Ponzi schemes, he's on the lower end of it. I think he stole or couldn't repay back about half a million. You know, and, and the original Ponzi scheme, the guy was named Ponzi, and I don't know if you know the story. He was an Italian immigrant who was selling stamps. He could buy these stamps that you could send over to Italy and send back to the U.S., whatever you put them on. And they were a lot cheaper than what you could buy in Italy to send here. So his scheme was running these stamps to Italy so people could mail their American relatives. He was making money on this because he would buy in America and sell them at a higher price in Italy, but less than Italian stamps. Right. So he got people to invest, promised a great return, and was paying new clients and old clients with different people's money. Then it was it was just going to collapse. So, I mean, that's where we got the word Ponzi scheme. Oh, okay. Bernie Madoff, the biggest Ponzi scheme of all time, Jan is just small fish in this pond. Right, yeah. And as we joked earlier, anytime you look up a list of Ponzi schemes on the internet, you see Social Security listed as number one. It probably is the biggest Ponzi scheme ever, <laughs> yeah. technically. Technically. Now, this is going to put us on a few government lists, probably, for saying that. But, you know, I just thought it was funny when I was looking at Ponzi scheme lists that uh, Social Security kept coming up. That's funny. So, what did you think of Polka King as a, as a movie, Adam? This this does not strike me as an Adam movie. Just when I, when I'm watching this, I'm chuckling and I'm in, I am middle American soul of America guy that I am 
kind of is thinking, I'm digging this movie. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, Adam is not liking this movie at all. I can promise you that. Uh, you're right. Um, <laughs> something about this movie just didn't work for me. I mean, Jack Black was fine playing this bubbly, likable character. But there was something about the movie that felt like a basic cable movie to me for some reason. I don't know what it was, but like if, if this was a USA movie or lifetime i would have bought it i could not agree with you more there's nothing major motion picture feature about this film (laughs) but for some reason it worked for me i i liked the humor um i liked the cast you know um and i loved jack black i thought he was great but he's kind of plays this character all the time you know now i haven't seen jumanji yet and i and it's actually getting great positive feedback and it's making a ton of money and making a ton of money and i hear he's fabulous in it right but he's kind of slipping into this you know i'm gonna play you know this either it's a mexican wrestler now i'm playing a polish polka guy and he likes to play these non-american that have the big gregarious accents and big larger than life kind of characters and he does pretty good with it you know yeah, um, I'm a Jack Black fan, actually. I, I like Tenacious D, his band with Kyle. Um, I like Tenacious D quite a bit, but and he's fine in this movie. I have no knocks against Jack Black in this movie. It was just, it's just the way it was kind of shot or put together. It just, for some reason, felt like a TV movie and a little bit lower quality than some of the other Netflix stuff I've seen. No, I I, I think it's very valid, those, those points. Um and then how does this how does this compare then to the documentary? Uh, the documentary, the story isn't that interesting, honestly. It's a Ponzi it's scheme. It's really not. <laughs> so I, I, I don't say either of these films are must-watch films. If you're curious, throw one on. I would lean towards the documentary um, just so you can see the full story. He only did like four years for this scheme, which is kind of amazing. He still owes all the money they're trying to collect from him to this day. They're garnishing him. Yeah. But... It's not a very interesting story to be told twice. You know, it's just a low-level Ponzi And he really scheme. did get stabbed while he was in prison. That was one of the things <laughs> yes. that, that came up. That he Who actually, would stab a Polka King? I, I don't know. But, of course, in the movie, that was his sign from God that he was going to have to pay the price, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. So I can't recommend either of these movies. But, like I said, if you have any interest and you want to check it out, I would go with the documentary, The Man Who Would Be Polka King. There you go. On Netflix. And I probably would recommend uh, Drunk, Stoned, and Brilliant, and Dead over A Feudal and Stupid Gesture. See, we don't agree all the time. No, absolutely. But I did like the Polka King. Uh, It was a fun, enjoyable night. Um, I had to laugh when I wasn't even one minute into this movie when my daughter and my son are like, what are you watching? What, What kind of weird movie you got... I'm like, what, y'all don't like polka music? <laughs> oh, man. So I think that's going to wrap it up for our comedy night. This this week's episode, our comedy-themed, uh, maybe we can cue up some polka music to send us out this week. What do you think? That sounds good. It sounds fitting. There you go. So well, here's a quick recap. All these movies are on Netflix, as far as I, I'm aware. So Polka King Netflix, The Man Who Would Be Polka King Netflix... A Feudal and Stupid Gesture Netflix and Brilliant, Stupid, Stoned, and Dead Netflix. 
Game night is not. Game night is in theaters. Yes. And, and, but and, the rest of our recommendations and really, tonight. really, maybe the only one we really both recommended was game night. Yes. All right. So as we're listening to this polka music, Adam, why don't you share how they can find us on Facebook? Yeah, we're on Facebook. The easiest way to find us is just go to facebook.com backslash filmcoterie. We also use the handle at filmcoterie on both Twitter and Instagram. We're active on there. Uh, just tell us what you think of any of these movies if you happen to check them out. Awesome. And if I can figure out a way to get permission, I think we'll try to end this episode with a little Jan Luan actual real polka music. We'll see if I can get Jan Luan and his band. And his band. That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of the Film Coterie. We'll see you next time. Won't you play that good old polka one more time? Yes, sir, yes, sir, one more time, because it's a favorite song of mine. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, won't you
Should I? 